This is CliffCentral.com. Is this thing on? You're listening to The Bounce Show. It's live. Well, not this bit, but it's live on CliveCentral.com. Um, it's Cliff Central, Blatt. <clears throat> Sorry, scrap that, delete it. CliffCentral.com. Bones, memories we've been sharing. I'll never forget the moment we kissed the night of the hayride. The way that we hugged to try to keep warm while taking the sleigh ride back. Lots of magic moments over the weekend, sports. What a sporting weekend it was. The Springboks won a match. Yes, first win for Alistair Kutsia. Uh, NBA Finals. Well, LeBron James soared above everyone else. And the golf. The golf was very entertaining with Dustin Johnson coming out on top. This is Percy Como, in case you're wondering. Percy had this very famous song where he whistled and it got stuck in everyone's head from this day forth. So a slightly more jovial start to the show today, and that is because I've also got some really, really great guests. I've got um, I got SA Rugby, I've got SA Golf, I've got Irish Rugby. I won't get into them just yet, because I need to get into the headlines before I introduce my guests properly. So yeah, if you missed anything over the weekend, it was one of those weekends where if you and your couch seemed to really hit it off, it wasn't the worst thing, because there was so much on the go. So for, starting with Formula One. Let's get the small stuff out of the way. Nico Rosberg back to winning ways, okay? So it's a really good thing for him. Mercedes doing so well. Lewis Hamilton had some issues. I've come to realize that the most exciting thing about F1 right now is these team microphones and these team uh, radios that go on. You've got Kimi Raikkonen showing displeasure about stuff, and he's never one to hold back. You've got Lewis Hamilton talking technical stuff. It really is quite entertaining. But yeah, Rosberg won that one. So he went through to stretch that lead again. Now, you know, he started off really, really fast and strong and his lead was down to all of, I think, nine points. Well, it's back to 24 now because Hamilton finished outside the top five. Rosberg wins that one. Second was Sebastian Vettel and third was Sergio Perez. Everyone thought that there would be maze to like pileups and that street circuits in Azerbaijan was going to be really kind of difficult. Uh, but it wasn't, and uh, totally unscathed, everybody went through there. So the next one, I think, is going to be in Austria, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, a little break between that and the next one. In the golf, uh, we're going to hold back on that because we've got Barry Harvengar from Golf Digest. Now, Barry is the single best person to speak to when it comes to um golf and of course he not only does he watch all this kind of stuff he writes about it he knows the players he knows exactly what's going on so we'll hold back on that but yes Dustin Johnson finally got a win there Andy Murray also got a win over the weekend he won at Queens for a fifth time a record fifth time very very exciting unfortunately for the cricket the rain cocked up all aspirations that SA had for making the finals now they did so well uh, in beating the West Indies, absolutely thrashing them the other day. Tahir got seven wickets, uh, Amla got a hundred, and it was really, really beautiful. So you're thinking they're going to take that across and beat a Warnerless Aussies. They were eight for zero after the first over, but then fortunately the rain, unfortunately the rain just came down and did not go away from there. So it now means that the next match is West Indies versus Australia. Now the, the, the points table here is very, very bunched. So it's all three teams could make the final still. So West Indies versus Australia on Tuesday. Friday, we've got West Indies versus SA. Uh, top two teams from the pool go through. And then Sunday's final. That's when it's all going to come together. In rugby, well, we've got Spoo 
Majikalisa on with me in about sort of two minutes now. We're going to get very much into what happened with the box. But just to have a look at that, Australia 7, England 23. That is now two comprehensive wins in a row for the English. So we can always lay to rest. It's not the coach that makes the team play bad or good. Because that's 8 out of 8 now for England. They have 8 out of 8. They couldn't do anything under Stuart Lancaster. Essentially the same players. Eddie Jones has gone in there and he's got a massive tune out of these guys. Wales were again very spirited. I think it was 10 all at half time. New Zealand pulled away again, 36-22. But it's really cool to see these Northern Hemisphere teams with a lot more fight than we have become used to. In football news, the Euros were, uh, well, like I wouldn't say it's been hugely exciting so far. There's been some decent games, but I think absolutely amazing. So Friday, Italy, they qualified. They beat Sweden. So they're two out of two. They've got good wins there. Czech Republic, Croatia was a very good game. That was 2-2. Spain, Turkey, very one-sided. So Spain, after a slowish start, they're kind of hitting the straps now. They were 3-0 over Turkey. Belgium as well, also a slow start. They lost to Italy, but then they hammered the Republic of Ireland 3-0. Iceland, and this is an interesting part of the the, the competition, Iceland-Hungary 1-1. Portugal-Austria 0-0. So very much all to play for there. Portugal, you think, we're going to pull ahead because maybe the easier group out of all of them. But Ronaldo missed a penalty, and that team is just not firing. Ronaldo just can't do it in the red shirt. It's very, very strange. And then yesterday, Romania 0, Albania 1, Switzerland 0-0 with France. Now, Switzerland, uh, sorry, France did very well to kind of eclipse um, Romania uh, in, in the death stages of, I think it was Thursday uh, or Friday. I think it was Friday. Let's call it Thursday. One of those days. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so France maybe not being as prolific as people were hoping. But still, very much amongst the favorites with Germany, uh, Italy, and uh, Spain. Belgium, some say. Anyway, if there's more, more soccer, uh, we just had an amazing hour show here with uh, Stefano and his team. So make sure you get the podcast to that on cliffcentral.com. But before we get into Spoo and our first guest, a look at the uh, the Euro, sorry, the Copa America. Interesting quarterfinals. The USA are doing bloody well on home on home turf. They now make it into the semis. They beat Ecuador two one, and then Saturday we had Colombia versus Peru. Goalless in in regulation time. Four two Colombia go through on penalties, and Argentina hammered Venezuela four one. But that was nothing compared to what Chile did to Mexico. 7-0, an actual rugby score in the Copa America, 7-0. So your semifinals for the Copa America Wednesday will be USA versus Argentina, it's 2 in the morning. Thursday, Columbia, Columbia versus Chile, it's also 2 in the morning. Those are your semifinals of Copa America. Basketball-wise, well, LeBron James, he was incredible. The game went into a seventh, sorry, the NBA final went into a seventh game. LeBron topped all the stats. The guy is just, he was head and shoulders above the rest. What does worry me is that some people are saying that there's been match-fixing involved. It's a little bit rigged. Uh, Golden State was the better team and somehow got into that seventh game. Look, I don't want to think that's true, but anything's possible in sport nowadays. But I think we should all just celebrate the moment now. LeBron wanted to take the title back to his hometown. He went there after being so good with Miami, and uh, the title is now in Cleveland. So huge, huge story. Anyway, those are your headlines. Uh, very short and brief there. Because music into rugby. Because, well, the Springboks did something decent over the weekend. They came back, and they came back with gusto. Jolindi. With much lower this time, and Damien Jolindi goes under the posts to put South Africa in front. What an astonishing comeback. Build as an astonishing comeback. We got Spoo Majiglisso with us. Spoo, was, was it an astonishing comeback, or was it just a massive saving of the blushes there? 
Jeez, a bit of both, Ben. Thanks for having me. It was a bit of both. Uh, I'll tell you, sitting in the stands, uh, there was a huge, huge feeling of relief from from the stands as well. And watching it uh, on television later on that night, just to see if I had missed anything, I saw Alistair Kutia in the coaching booth uh, in tears. Uh, he was hugging with Matthew Proud for a Just Just shows how much that comeback win actually meant for him and the guys. Well, it kind of reminds me of that time when Ricky January uh, chipped the ball, gathered it, and scored a try to famously beat New Zealand in Wellington. Yeah. PW yes, yes, P- almost broke the desk, and now we saw Alistair <laughs> clapping it as well. It's, it's, I don't know, we all know it's part of the job, but so much pressure already on Alistair, and after 60 minutes, geez, that guy must have been, wow, he must have just been dying of cold sweats in there. Like, was it very much the same problems as last week, or did we maybe uncover a few other frailties to this team in that first 60 minutes? Look, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Ben, there, there's some very, uh, there's some credit that's not going to the Irish team. Uh, Joe Schmidt, the New Zealander, is a very cunning, very tactically astute uh, coach. If you remember, I think it was uh, 2014, very early in his tenure, uh, he almost uh, beat the All Blacks in in in, in Ireland uh, that same year, where he had John Plumtree as his forward coach, and uh, he had won a Grand Slam with them as well, and he had won the uh, European Cup I think with Leinster. So Joe Schmidt came to South Africa with a very very clear plan, and I don't think a Springbok team, even under Henrik Mayer, would have been able to uh, run Ireland over the same way we've been playing. So for him to come and also meet uh, a sort of a new coach and a new setup, it was almost as if it's too easy for him to, to, to plan around the Springbok team. So what he did was, it was very clear, hit them where they used to hit us, and that's the, the physical confrontation. Yeah. Make sure make sure of your line out and your scrum, and, and, and pounce on, on, on anything that's loose, and that's exactly what they've done. I mean, for the mere fact that they, they habitually strip us off the ball, Every time we're, we're in their red zone or, or threatened to enter their 22-meter area, tells you that they've been programmed to turn the ball over no matter what it is that they, they do to turn it over, whether it's a breakdown, whether they force a knock-on, or whether, like we've seen, or they strip the ball of the contest. I mean, for guys like Spia Colisi, Adrian Stark, um, to, uh, to, to be stripped of the ball in contact, to enter Maryland, that that really shows you that those, those are big, all carriers, and if they they're getting dispossessed so easily by guys like Paddy Jackson who are, who are half their size, it shows you that look, these guys have come with a very very clear plan. But um, now that the Springboks really understand what it is that's going on once they get on the field and and they've overcome it once, I think they'll have more confidence that um, they'll be able to to do it again over a sustained period of the game this time instead of the 31 minutes. 31-minute blitz that they had at Ellis Park. See, that's why I love chatting to you. I can just tee you up, and you can literally just run through things without even me questioning (laughs) it. Like, it was a very definite game plan. I mean, of course, Joe Schmidt's got a good record against the box. That's three out of four uh, wins, of course. Uh, This one being there's only blight in the copybook against us. But I did. Like, yeah. I, 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 being at the ground there in that first half, you just notice, you think, okay, this is it. The box are going to come out firing. It's Ellis Park, altitude, hard and fast. They learned their mistakes. But the Irish, they were just so clever. And the way they used the high ball as a weapon, straight away they realized, okay, Valerie Rune, not in the best of form. Lazio and Volvo may be suspect under the high ball. And that's all that yeah. happened. They would get the ball. They would pin it up there. The, 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 the Springboks never had a chance of putting any sort of points on the board. And when that Rune Combic try happened, 
I mean, it was one of the most emotional moments for me as a Springbok supporter because yeah. it was suddenly the, the, like the shackles had been broken. But then the very next movement, basically, Ireland then scored. So everything was put in check. And I, I totally agree with you. I don't think enough credit has really got into this Irish team. I think people are still underestimating him, thinking this third test is yeah. also a foregone conclusion. Um, just get, get into the very obvious point now. Joe Smith in the week said that it was all about attitude, not altitude. So, I mean, was this a massive factor that last 20 minutes? Because clearly they ran out of steam towards that and, and they couldn't implement the game plan that was stifling the box so much. I'll, I'll tell you what, Bear, as much as Joe Smith's team has been very, very good tactically, uh, what, what they strive on, and it, it's a very European uh, type of rugby, is that the structure that South Africans rely on uh, the most They've closed that game plan completely. Um, and, and the structural game, uh, is not going to penetrate Ireland. And if you notice the when they got knocked out by Argentina at the World Cup, that as soon as phases, uh, were put together, as soon as it became loose, as soon as offloads started, uh, coming, as soon as a quick ball, uh, was recycled, then we started seeing the fragility of the Irish. Um, and you saw that, that that try you speak about by Ruan Combrin, that try wasn't, wasn't from structural play. So Combrin put in a quick, a quick throw into Villileru, really damaged two players and went through. And then suddenly there's a gap that opened and, and they had set themselves probably for a lineout. And, and, and then really, uh, did well to give it back to Combrin. Combrin bumps over Paddy Jackson, scores a try. Suddenly the game changes. So I think that's what the Springboks also would have looked at because Tactically, I think I think Ireland are still the superior team. The kicks you spoke about to Loazi, Loazi, Loazi had a terrible game. I mean, it's it's one facet of his game that has been a weakness all his career. He had worked on it. Um, I've seen him work on it during my time in Durban, and and it it really improved it's so much so that even Jake White played him at fullback. But then I think after missing one high kick, and then a second one came straight after, and you've got Andrew Trimble. Just rushing up on you. Trimble's a very, very experienced winger. So, so it, it then becomes a, a complex, and then they, they sort of resuscitated an old complex, and they, they bombarded him. Uh, uh, the coaching staff did well to take him off when they realized there was a problem. That was one thing from La, uh, from the last Seneca mayor tenure that that I didn't uh, quite agree with. Was that if, when they saw a problem and everyone saw the problem, they didn't quite uh, fix it immediately. Uh, Alistair was not scared to pull off Bobo. Uh, to to give Combin a chance, so I think I think uh, he did well there. Um, and and just uh, just finally, and the the kicking as well wasn't limited to Bobo. The the kickoffs as well were towards uh, the left of the Springboks because they knew that they've only got left-footed kickers. Fafty Clacks left-footed, Alton Yanchis is left-footed as well as Vinny Leroux. So all their kickoffs um, are the short one. I think when when they needed to go for a try. Um, that landed in the middle of the park were all to the left-sided kickers. So that tells you how how much homework these guys have done. Yeah, it does. It, it makes for an interesting third test because now we go back to sea level. Like, first of all, I think more tests should be played at altitude. I mean, that's a no-brainer for me. Um, but mm. like tactically speaking, now the Irish. Well, I wouldn't say they've shown their cards, but they definitely have have taken up a role which is becoming slightly more predictable than it was obviously at the start of the, of the series when we just thought we could run over them now just looking at the team now we spoke about the Wazimbo obviously went off um, you know like you would hate to think this is going to be the back of him because there was a guy who deserved that place in the team for quite some time couldn't get him because of Brian Abana but now 
you know, like a five minute period of his life. It's like watching Vincent Koch last year before the World Cup being scrummed by yeah, the Argentinians. Suddenly, yeah. you know, it's, it's like these little, these little packets of play mean like it could be the end of you. But now, if you were to say, um, okay, hypothetically speaking, if everyone is fit and ready to go, what, what would you reckon would be the key changes if Alex Garcia were to make any? Look, a key for me will be, um, uh, bringing in Vili Leroux from the bench. Um, I don't think Vili is past it to say a lot of people are, are, are writing Vili off, uh, very quickly. Um, the form and confidence thing. Vili is a confidence player. Uh, he's a momentum player. Uh, I don't think he, he has lost it in terms of ability, but as much as he had errors in the past, uh, he, he would always make it, make it up with a, with a shimmy here and there, with a brilliant run. And, and, and you, you quickly forgot whatever errors he made. But now, uh, his, his, his two runs or his, his line breaks are, um, are very scarce. So, so what you're seeing are the mistakes a lot more. So I reckon Billy would make a very good impact player at, at Port Elizabeth would be my change. I'll bring in Ron Comrink at fullback. I'll keep Loazi, um, at, at, at left wing, uh, just, just, just to give him one more run so that he doesn't have a confidence dip entirely. I agree. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd also, I'd also have a relook at that, uh, at that three. You know, I think, I think Jensen Millen's place is compromised and, and, and Ryan Whiteley has made huge strides there. So I'd, I'll bring him in at number eight. Uh, I'll keep Sia at seven as a ball carrier, but I'll, I'll also bring in Yaku Creel. Um, I think, I think the, the Irish aren't ready for what Yaku Creel could do. And it showed that they weren't ready for what Ruan Combrin could do. So if you could bring in another element of surprise, um, to, to, to the Irish, uh, that might, that, that, that might just, just change things. I think Julian Redling Ace, um, has said enough to, to, to start. He's a very, very good scrummager, is, is Redling Ace, and he's a very clever player. Um, is one of the more intelligent rugby players, intelligent tight end, which is not something you find quite often. Exactly. So, so I, I think, uh, but everyone else, um, ought to remain the same. I think Foster Clark's been amazing, uh, by giving quick balls to Elton Yankee. Uh, so, so that's how I'd keep it. But as a sort of insurance, I would have Dwayne, Dwayne on the bench. Um, I'd sacrifice one backline player for, for, for one forward player for me. Um, I, I don't know who, maybe, Maybe morning. I, I feel I feel for Jesse Creel, um, but I would sacrifice a backline player. I would sacrifice maybe a morning and 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 have Billy and and Rudy Page as my two best players just to add another forward to 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 that lineup. I think physically, uh, if we if we run out of team physically in Port Elizabeth where there is no altitude, where it's at sea level, uh, the Irish the Irish might might just uh, nick one in, and we saw how easily their tries come in. And then their driving malls are working a whole lot better than ours are. So, so I reckon we can't, we can't look at that last game and think everything's solved. We still have to go into this game, uh, thinking uh, as much about the, uh, the tactics that Schmidt has employed as, as we would our own. Yeah. Well, just, um, we've only got, yeah, we're, we're actually going to chat to, to John from, from balls.ie. Okay. Now, the, now this website in Ireland has been writing some pretty interesting articles, basically calling it from the start that Ireland are going to, are going to mess South Africa up here. And, and oh, they've been, yeah. they've been pinpointing a few players. So I'm very excited about the, co- the conversation I'm going to have with John after you. But just to get into those positional things quickly, do you reckon, do you, do you reckon Combrig, I mean, if you, First choice, okay. Like, just forget about Vili for a second. Here. First choice, would you want Combrick on the wing or fullback? Which do you reckon is his better position for the box? Put it that way. His better position is wing, um, but for for this test of being fullback. But 
is definitely a winner for me. Yeah. Um, because because at, at, at fullback, you kind of know what he's going to do. He's going to clear long and then he's going to join the line sporadically. But at wing, he joins the line with, with a lot more hunger. Um, I've seen him play. And, and, and the winger with the array of skills that Comrade's got is, is far more dangerous um, at, at, as a, as a, as a ball, ball receiver than, than as a guy that, that joins the line occasionally. He just, yeah. he just has a way of finding space where, where most players wouldn't find any. You saw that he can, he can bash it up. Um, he can chip and chase. He's not slow either by any stretch of imagination. He can kick long. Uh, he can kick for cold. So, I mean, really, I mean, and in the air, there's, there's no doubt about his ability. But for me, I would, I would, his best position for me is win. But for this weekend specifically, I would, I would have him at fullback. Because as soon as the Irish start kicking deep into our half, we can bomb them right back, almost like when we used to do, where when we had the front ten as, as our fullback back back in the day. But but yeah, so so for me this weekend, uh, Ruan coming. But you never know. Alistair Kutier is, is a big believer, as he said, in second chances. You always you always give you a sniff for you to 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 redeem yourself. And I think a lot of the guys, especially in the second half, sort of redeem themselves and. And it might it might just be enough to keep a lot of them in, in the team for for the PK. Yeah, I can imagine, but I just think it, this game has shown more than ever how rugby is a twenty three man game. So it almost seems like foolish to say, well, we've got to put everything into that starting fifteen. We've got to look at games in different phases. Like the Irish are going to be very very tough in the first sixty. There's no doubt about it. Things might uh-huh. break up might, might break up a little bit. Of course, we we'll take away the altitude is not going to be just as, as bad as last weekend. But I still uh-huh. reckon, I still reckon that there's merit in the fact that Jesse Creel was. Heineke Mayer saw him as a center. Uh, his form suggests that he was maybe a fullback for, for the, for the bigger, bigger field. A guy like that, I still reckon needs a chance. You, you know, just to have Combrick on the wing, no doubt about it. I still think, as I, I totally agree with you, I still think Lawazi can't be just binned after one little like, bad section under high balls. Okay. That was just one time. Uh-huh. Jeffy Peterson, I think, um, he, he fills a role, but for me, he's not a first choicer anymore. To give Jesse Creel a chance at fullback with Villy on the bench, I think you've got a very dynamic, um, element to your team. And I also, I agree with you. I don't think a guy like Mornay should be on the bench. Um, you know, you got, you got, you got solidity and then you got flair. I think that's what you must yeah. look for. Yes, yes, yes. So it's a, it's a real tough one. It is a conundrum, yeah. <laughs> um, Jesse played in the, um, for me, uh, to, to consider him in a, in a make or break test. I mean, if he had played the entire season there for, for, for the, for the ball. Then I'll, I'll I'll be able to check him in. Now this is a he hasn't played at fullback for two years now, uh, uh, Jesse Creel. So I, I reckon I reckon two seasons out, and then and then suddenly with the Irish, I think I think the the, the might the might zigzag him all over the park. I mean, Paddy Jackson and, and Jared Bates, oh, yeah. very very good at putting balls in behind. Uh, sure, I, 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 I tell you, I, I get your point. Okay, for this weekend for sure, I don't think it's a time for experimenting stuff. I think the wrong Combrick call i just think you like going forward you know because the series all said and done we can look back in a few weeks time ago what did we really learn what's this what's the best 15 going to yeah. be so there are definitely some questions there um just getting on to the halfback pairing you know one concern is obviously elton missed a few kicks so as soon as that happens mm. i mean this is the great thing about watching live you watch around people with some very simplistic views around sa rugby absolutely mm. love it and they were saying you know like elton can't get his goals he was basically pissed off and i totally disagree because i reckon there's a there's a combination in the making here elton was um he was on the bench 
in 2012. Probably should have started off the box back in 2012, right? So he was good. Yeah. He was good enough back then to try and discard him now would be the stupidest thing in the world because all this guy needs is game time. I reckon he'll be golden. The Fuff. The Fafta Cloak Elton Jones' combination is something that uh, is a no brainer. It's a no negotiable for me as well. But yeah, then, no, no. But they're, they're absolutely brilliant, that halfback combination, yeah. So it's now to work out the center pairing for me as well. Now, De Allender, there is another prime example of how when the game opens up a little bit, you've got fresh legs with him. He can either bulldoze you, he can step you. There's a lot going on there. But. Is it going to be, is he the 80 minute guy or is he just kind of like Vili, maybe suited bad to the bench? Jeez, again, then, um, it's, it's, it's another one where, where it, it, it's all up for conjecture, to be honest. Um, the, the midfield, it, it's, it, it's funny how people look at the midfield that it's only working when the outside center is scoring the tries. I, I kid you not, the midfield looks a lot better when the outside center is is doing well and then suddenly the partnership. Um last year, um Damien Dialanda put Jesse Creel through through a lot of good gaps by the the defenders. Um this year uh Mapu's not getting as, as much of the service that Creel did from, from, from Damien but he's still doing a job there. I, I, I still reckon he's still needs a, a good a good run there at the number thirteen jersey. Um coming into this the series form wise, I, I had Jan uh, Sefontein take as the number twelve, but obviously now mm. there are a lot of poses. Look, it's an evolving squad. Uh, I, I I can't tell you who we have a certain twelve uh, thirteen combination because there's so many permutations that that still lie ahead. I mean, Jan yeah. Sefontein will come back from injury, uh, a partner up with Jesse Creel. Uh, Damien Dialande will be together with Juan uh, Diong when Super Rugby. Rip- Resumed, so it's it's, uh, it's all going to happen. Yeah, um, look, there really are just endless permutations here. Yeah. I just think the, the reason I was asking is that uh, Lionel Poo was just like he is such a dynamic player. He's become relatively anonymous in these these two tests. It doesn't seem like a guy could be. I think he's ready for the big stage. For him to be so quiet, I think you know maybe distribution. Who knows what the game plan is? Different kind of things. Uh, anyway, so unfortunately, we have run out of time. We need to get into the, the Irish side of this discussion. Um, but sure. yeah, I mean, I could chat to you for all day. I think uh, the, one, one big takeout for me is that there are some good problems to be had as far as selections. I think when it comes to the Ford pack, it's not even a discussion. I think, as you said, uh, Dwayne Vermillion, you know, end of a long season, isn't the guy he used to be. Let's just not discard him, but let's give Warren Whiteley the chance. And I think for another discussion, which I'd love to have with you at some stages, I believe that where Warren Whiteley is in his career right now, this is the guy who should be captain the side. You, you've got, sure. you, you've I, got I momentum, momentum of the Lions, momentum of this guy's personal career. I just think, I don't know, Strauss, stopgap, interim, cool, no problem with that whatsoever. But we know we keep thinking about, we've got a plan for the World Cup, yada, yada, yada. I reckon Whiteley's the man forward. Huh? I really do. And if Dwayne's going to become a number seven as a result, well, so be it. You know, who really knows? I just think that that's one of the big things I'd like to take out of, out of the series. Uh, the, the backs is always going to be up for discussion. You know, we can chop and change that. But one thing I think Whitey needs to be given the nod. No, I agree with you, Ben. Thanks for having me again, buddy. Of course, but always really enjoy your insights. Uh, next up, we've got John from balls.ie. Now, this is a site that I, I, I discovered, um, sure, probably four or five years ago. And, uh, look, they're, they're a prolific site. Uh, not in the sense of like a Sport 24 where they're just churning out cut and paste stuff. These guys have, well, interesting people, you know, like I said, like myself, who blog and write about things from a more passionate side. 
but uh, they also obviously know a lot about rugby. John, would you be the the rugby guy in in, in chief at balls? <laughs> well, good morning, Ben. I'd be uh, I'd be one of a couple anyway, one one of several in here. We we uh, we tend to cover a lot of bases. You kind of have to in the in the you know the fast moving sports world over here. So the more the more feathers in your cap, the better. Okay, and being a first world country, you have got a great Skype connection. See, this is brilliant. This is why it's so good to have the variety. Okay, John. Like another reason why I would bring you guys in because I I do I do read your site. Uh, if I know anything about UFC, it's because of you guys. Uh, if I know anything oh, about Gaelic football, definitely you guys. Um, but so about two weeks ago, you wrote a very good article about how Ireland are going to win and why is no one giving Ireland the credit for this test series. And you guys pinpointed uh, Francois Herbert is going to be crap. Uh, Ville de has got no form. Halfbacks inexperienced. And, you know, it was quite funny. Like I straight away, I, I favorited this. I wanted to read it. I said it's very interesting. And I look at all the comments and South Africans rugby perception is just never going to change. People were saying this is bullshit. We'll wait, wait until Saturday. Then we'll see. And, um, well, you were right. And you, I think you are still right. Uh, was this, was, was it like a no? The first test, yeah, you really look, obviously you won the first test. Elvis, you got the better of you guys in the second. Um, but was this something that was a bit of a no brainer for you guys coming into the season? You thought the, the box were very much ripe for the taking? I think so. And, and you know, it, it's, it's the Springboks first tests of the, of the year. And it, there's often a chance in situations like this, like Ireland are coming off the Six Nations and, and a lot of uh, uh, test matches in, in the autumn as well. So we were, our, our team is match ready. We're match fit and Schmidt has them trained. He knows the, the, all the players know the system. They know what they want to do. So when, as you well know, until last week, Ireland had never recorded a, a victory in, in South African soil. And uh, a lot of us here in the office uh, and in the country in general figured that this, if we're going to do it, this is as good a chance as any, particularly with a couple of the, of the frailties that a few of us saw in the, in the spring box side. But now this whole thing about the injuries, right? I think it was what um, eleven guys didn't start the World Cup match. So you had like four retain. I mean, I don't know what the actual numbers were, but it was kind mm-hmm. of like a second string team. Take away Johnny Six, and that's obviously a massive thing. Um, mm-hmm. And still, you know, you, you talk about Joe Smith obviously having a system. So would you say that your depth is is really really strong right now, or it's just a situation of just you've almost been forced to discover new talent you didn't know a whole bunch about? Yes, I think the latter. I, I think if players like Johnny Sexton or, or even Sean O'Brien, who I, I rate very, very highly, if they were fit, they would be automatic starters in this. And Paddy Jackson, who was so excellent in the first test, and I think pretty good at the weekend as well, he wouldn't he wouldn't have got those minutes under his belt. Like to, he, he was making his first start for Ireland since I, I believe the the autumn or the sorry the, the spring of 2013. When he was brought in a little too early, I think he was 20, 21 years old. He was a little overawed by the scenario. And, uh, this time around, he had a fantastic season for Ulster in the, in the Pro 12. He's really, he's really upped his game management. That's one of the big things we've seen from, uh, from Paddy Jackson in the, in, particularly in these last two matches. He's in control of the back line. Whereas, uh, in, in the past, if Sexton wasn't fit or if Sexton wasn't playing, the entire Irish back line would suffer as a result because there was nobody really there that could bring them into play. And, uh, from an Irish rugby perspective, it's great to see that Paddy Jackson, 24 years old, I think, is, uh, it seems to be, he's got his, uh, as soon as Sexton retires, a couple of years down the line anyway, Jackson looks like he can assume that role pretty handily. Yeah, I guess we're just kind of uh, jealous in this country that we can't have New Zealand coaches because they're the best. Like, that's just how it is, unfortunately. <laughs> but now, yeah, in, in Joe, we try. 
Just yeah, well, well for sure. <laughs> now, so much is made about, uh, obviously, on the back of the World Cup, where you know it was an all semi, all Southern Hemisphere semi-final base. People love going on about this whole gulf between the two hemispheres. England have gone to Australia and basically said, no, that's not that's not actually at, at all in play. And I'm kind of actually happy that it's got down to a point now where. Um, SA has to beat Ireland in a must-win third test. Now, this whole thing about the Gulf, is it actually like a big thing or is it just because the two games are quite different? You know, like the Southern Hemisphere is all about flash and throwing offloads and the expansive game, whereas mostly I think because of weather conditions, the Northern Hemisphere game is a bit tighter. Is it all bullshit, this whole Gulf? Is it just different games or should we be making points about the fact that maybe one was better up until now? Well, I think... To a degree, you know, there's the old saying that there's no smoke without fire. I think the Gulf certainly was a thing, but I think as the as the years have gone on, it's become less and less. Uh, like for example, our, our, I think Ireland have uh, the frailties within the mindset of Irish rugby. Where we, we always kind of felt that we weren't as good as as the Springboks or particularly the All Blacks. We just have this huge mental block about playing the All Blacks. That's all right. It's not just you guys. <laughs> we just can't get over the line with those guys. But. Uh, I think, I mean, judging by rugby in the last couple of weeks, particularly with the English, and I mean, I suppose the Welsh put up a decent showing against the All Blacks as well. Oh, very good. But if the uh, if the golfing class was a thing this time last year, the golf is just getting a little bit smaller. I, that's my personal feeling. Particularly if you if you look at the the two tests between South Africa and Ireland so far, obviously one test apiece. We both scored fifty two points. Uh, it's primed for like a lot of us here didn't really really think that. Well, we did and we didn't. A lot of us we wouldn't have been terribly surprised if we were going into the third test and it was a dead rubber, like and South Africa had won the first two tests. That wouldn't have been hugely surprising because that's kind of what's happened every almost every other time that we've come down to the Southern Hemisphere for tests. So I think um, from an Irish perspective, again, I think it's hugely satisfying to see uh, us being extremely competitive and particularly, like you mentioned, without players like Johnny Sexton or without Sean O'Brien or without Rob Carney or all these sorts of guys that were fixtures of the Irish team for so long and were also crucial to uh, to Joe Schmidt's tactics. So it, it's very heartening to see. Yeah, well, I, look, I, I'm waiting for this third test to really actually work out what this, what the series has, has taught us from a South African rugby perspective. But the one thing it has definitely taught us is never to underestimate teams from the Northern Hemisphere, whether they're weakened or not. It's because discipline in international rugby and uh, game plans. I mean, this is the big thing is that you guys are playing much smarter rugby right now. But do you reckon going into this third test, there'd be similar tactics from the Irish team or would there be something else that we're looking to expect here? I think it'll by and large be similar. There's a couple of injuries. I know I know Henshaw, who's uh, who's been a big player for us in these last two matches. He's he's unfortunately he's got knee surgery coming up now as a result of last weekend so yeah, we're going to have to chop and change that'll most likely mean that Jared Payne comes in from fullback to go to number 13 and uh I think Payne was one of the reasons that we were so successful in the in the particularly in the first test and and in, in spells in the second he was I mean we we play Rob Carney there he seems to be our first choice at fullback but over the last year or two I think even even Leinster and Irish fans would admit that his form has dipped a little bit and he I think with Jared Payne going in there, it added an extra dimension to Ireland's attack. He wasn't just Rob Carney is his habit of just running, taking contact. He just runs straight and runs into contact and tries to recycle the ball. Whereas Payne was looking to get on, on their outside shoulders. He was looking to offload. It just added an entirely new dimension to the Irish attack, and it worked really well. Also with Trimble, when because uh, they're both obviously uh, their Ulster colleagues, so they they know each other's game inside out. So and Trimble, I think, has been arguably the, the the best performer for Ireland so far in these two matches. So uh what happens next next Saturday will be incredibly interesting. I think I think it'll be a close match. I really, really I think these two 
two teams are they're they're quite similar in their strengths. I think Ireland are better in certain aspects, and I think the the Springboks are, are better in, in other aspects. Home advantage is a big thing as well. So I think it's primed to be uh, an incredibly good test. And I'm just well, I'm going to nail my my I'm gonna <laughs> salute my flag here, and I, I hope that the Irish can pull it off. I really it would be a it would be a huge huge thing. A huge achievement for Irish rugby if if they win this if they win this series. Well, I'm not just saying this to obviously blow smoke up your ass, but I reckon the Irish in the box right now are so evenly matched, and maybe it's a chilling reality to the Springboks because for so long they've been second to the All Blacks. Mentally, it's, it's like we can beat the rest of the world, but the All Blacks uh, we're still shaky there. But I reckon right yeah. now, and Ireland has shown us this, and this could be the, maybe the greatest way for Alistair Garcia to start his tenure, is that this is actually where we are right now, a second-string Irish team, so to speak. And I, I always hate saying that because I don't discredit the guys who are putting heart and soul into this. So this, mm-hmm. the, the, for me, this is one of the greatest tests got coming up now. But what's going to happen with CJ Stunder? Does he come straight back into the into the, the test test team? I'd, I'd imagine so. So I think he's uh, obviously it's going to be a quite contentious call. I, I don't really, I don't really know how the uh, the South African public will react to him. I, I, we didn't even really get a chance to see in the first test because his his involvement was over so quickly. But I, th- I noticed a couple of jeers here and there when when he was on the ball or when he was making a you know doing a carry. So, and obviously I think you know we all we all saw what happened. I'm so I'm glad that Lambie seems to be okay and all that kind of stuff. But. In terms, of, like he's he's the captain of Munster. He was Munster's Player of the Year. I think he got out of Munster. He, he was pretty much one man of the match every second game he played for Munster. In a, in, and as well, that Munster team vastly underperformed last season too. So just his 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 involvement in Irish rugby has been huge. He's played every match that he's been available for Ireland. So uh, I, I'd imagine he'll come in there because I think uh, Ian Henderson, who obviously took his position at six he's better in the lock he's better up there beside Devin Toner so that leaves the the prime ball carrier position open and there's no one more effective in the Irish squad than CJ Stander at the moment than than carrying and as well it's a it's a really intriguing little subplot for a third test so it'd be fascinating to well, see what happens. It. like like he has to come back okay so here's the guy who returned to his homeland it's like the script is perfect for this he has to come <laughs> back and he has to implement something okay so cock and block you guys still, still reckon this third test you get this is gonna you're gonna win it I think so. I mean, we've, we've, this, this Irish squad, we're, they're very, very mentally strong. And Schmidt, as, as I'm sure you agree, is a really tactically sound coach. Oh, yeah, he really so knows true. how to get, get into another, another side and, and expose weaknesses. So, and we also have the monkeys off our back. We've already won. We've already won a match down there. So that's, we no longer have to strive for this historical success. That's done. That's finished. Now it's just a more even match it, hopefully it'll be 15 versus 15 for the entire for the entire process and uh it's i, I can't wait i can't wait but we'll be i think i if we don't win the series from an irish perspective again if we don't win the series i think it'll seem like a missed opportunity because Huge obviously hit. we won the first test we were 20 minutes away from what looked like a pretty easy victory almost almost unnervingly easy victory last weekend until until the spring box came back and you know ran us off the park in the final 20. So I think, uh, it, it, this is, we're never going to get a better chance. The, the Irish team, this is, it's set up absolutely perfectly. Like we mentioned a minute ago, the subplot of CJ standard coming back into the team. Mm. The Irish players wanted to prove themselves, wanted to show that we're not, not all about Johnny sex. We're not all about Sean and Brian. There's other players in there that can do this too. I think, uh, the players are extremely motivated. Schmidt knows what to do. And as well, no one's really touched on it. Uh, it was, 
certainly in this conversation yet, but Andy Farrell, the, the new defence coach, the, the eighth former English coach, him coming in has just added uh, the Irish defence and the Irish defensive line has upped their aggression by about 100% up their line speed and I think that for large sections of the match that was just suffocating the uh, the South African back line there was no no uh, time no, no time to move no time to make set plays I think uh Farrell deserves a, a huge amount of credit for how Ireland have played in these last two games. Yeah, well, we touched on it with my interview with uh, Spoo beforehand. He said, you know, there's, right. a, there's a physicality. The Irish basically came here and took SA's strengths and used, it, used them against them. And uh, and that just set the tone for this whole series. Okay, so, John, you reckon they're going to do it? Um, look, I I must say, I, I think even the bookies are I've still underestimating Ireland. I mean, last week they gave them 11-point handicap. So I put money on that and I won. Right. No brainer. So yeah, it's I, I look I look forward to some some banter close to the game and um yeah I like absolutely like, well like, made the best team win that's that's the important part for sure. I, as I was introing you, I was saying you know you got to go onto balls.ie. There's a whole bunch of sport on here. You guys do a fantastic job. I know there's a a decent team of, of good sporting chaps there. So balls.ie. Anything else you guys want to plug so we know more about you? And so we'll uh, we'll, we'll, we'll never underestimate Irish sport ever again. You can again. follow me on Twitter at John Balf as well if you want. Okay, cool. John, thanks so much for your time. And, um, yeah, like, I'm so excited for this third test. I think it's going to be so brilliantly even and it'll do the, it'll do the series justice if it does go down to the, the final wire there. Exactly. Like just the, the final point, this is, it's, it's a third test befitting these two great rugby nations. So it's going to be fantastic to see what happens. Cool, John. Thanks so much. We've got Barry up next with the US Open. It was one, well, interesting tournament. Uh, interesting the fact that the, obviously the rain cocked things around a bit. Uh, but Justin Johnson was the winner and, uh, he made a speech. Yep. He made a speech. Pittsburgh fans are great. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was very nice to have all the support. Um, it definitely helped me coming down the stretch. What does it mean to you to finally, uh, be called a major champion in the world of golf? Well, it hasn't quite sunk in yet, but. It feels great. You know, obviously I've been here a bunch of times and haven't, you know, quite got it done, but today I did, and it feels really good. I want to talk to you about what was, okay. at least at the time... Enough about that. I think Dustin Johnson's a great golfer. I don't know if he's a great uh, orator. Now, Barry, were you a bit surprised that he finally got the, the monkey off his back here? Uh, not really. Uh, kind of, I thought his time would come. He's just, he's just too talented. He just needed to... You know, for once, keep it uh, keep it together down the stretch. I think it was more a mental, you know, the mental demons that he needed to to shake off. But yeah, I think uh, with with all the I don't, I don't know just before I came on air, if you discussed uh, what what actually happened with the ruling and and whatnot. He uh, he definitely pushed at the at the end, knowing that he might be penalised. So, um, I think everybody, yeah, no one was really surprised with. Uh, he shot into 18 because I think he knew that he was going to be penalized by a shot. But I, look, I don't want to dwell too much on this because I still think it's absolutely farcical. And if you're on Twitter, you do follow golfers, you would, you know, obviously see that the general consensus is the ruling by the USJ was absolute bullshit. But, well, you know, yeah. that's what I was going to ask. Like, like, was it, were, were within their rights to, to penalize him a shot or was it just someone making a lot of nothing? Well, I, th- I think we've got to, we do actually need to look at it because you know, golf didn't do itself, or the USDA didn't do itself any favors last night. Um, if, if you put it into context, he he was uh, um, you know put under scrutiny. He noticed that the ball had moved on the first green, 
And uh, an official came over, told him to play on. And on the 12th hole, an official came over to him and said, we're going to, to look at it again after the, uh, after the round. Now, if you compare that to, say, uh, the Springboks potentially scoring a try in the 19th minute, but then saying, well, we're going to look at it after the game, so we're not <laughs> sure if it's a try or not. Or um, a wicket falling in a, in a World Cup final, and then saying, well, we're only going to use the, um, you know, the referral at the end of the game, and we'll let you know if it's out or not. Because basically that's what happened. Um, for, for, for 90 minutes, uh, you know, from the 12th tee onwards, no one knew what his real score was. And, and not only is that a disservice to the player, and what that does to him mentally, but it's a, it's a service to the, the other competitors because it affects their strategy. I mean, Oakmont is, is such a strategic golf course. You've got a drivable par four on the 17th. So, you know, it affects whether um, other players decide they need to go for it or, sure. or not. We're hitting a drive off the tee on an iron stuff. And, and the overriding theme here is that, you know, normally on Twitter and, and on social media, there's always kind of uh, two parts. Well, you, you, you normally have someone disagreeing or uh, agreeing with something, and I haven't seen one, uh, you know, person come out and say, "Well, I agree with the USGA and how they handled the situation," which is very rare. You know, you normally have uh, two parties involved when it's a, a discussion on social media, and I'm afraid golf has has gotten its own way here because um, the USGA's whole kind of uh, hashtag and marketing strategy is growing the game. Now, yesterday afternoon, in, in the United States, they had uh, people were you know wanting to watch the, the NBA finals straight off the golf. So you would have had a massive TV audience, and the commentators were also you know they were flummoxed. They were like, well, you know, we're not really sure what his actual score is right now, and um, that's it, it. It really is. It was a little bit of a laughing stock and, and unfair on the uh, on the competitors. Yeah, it was kind of embarrassing in many ways. And also, like, Dustin's had his, his run-ins with rulings. I mean, the, the, the waste bunker back at the USPGA, you know, he played out of that one. That was a ruling that then dis- dismissed his chance of getting a, t- uh, a title. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like, I, I know there's lots of rules in golf and there's lots of permutations. And, you know, there's a live match official that obviously adjudicates these kind of things. But it's just, and even if they were going to look at it, why tell him during the round? Like, that's just got to be the, the shittest thing to hear. Like, it's just, it, it does irk me because I'm always campaigning for golf. You know, I'm telling people to get a life and get off mountain bikes and get on the golf course. These kind of things don't help our course. Yeah. Look, the, 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 the simple solution there would have been make a decision at the time, you know. Yeah. Um, then, yes, do tell him. Don't tell him afterwards. Tell him on the fifth, on the sixth tee, look, we've looked at it. Um, you have been penalized for it, so that he and everyone else knows, including the TV audience, knows where what the position is and where everyone stands. Yeah. Um, and and that is just the you know the, the the real thing that I was most sad about last night is that golf comes off looking bad because of um, you know you just you just got to keep it simple. That you dead right. You know, going back to two thousand and ten uh, with with him at um, at Whistling Straits, you know, the, uh, Tigers uh, ruling at the 15th in 2013 at the Masters, um, where there was just such a debacle afterwards. Completely. It, it just went on and on and on. You know, we, we live in a, an instant world at the moment in terms of, of, of everything, and you just you cannot have um, an organization or the ruling body or whoever's in charge of the proceedings um, delaying and dithering over, over a decision because it just it, it affects everything. 
Yeah, completely. Well, Barry, I think we should we should pinch pinch that part off there because it was still a very good tournament. Shane Lowry unfortunately choked the crap out of it in that final round. Was it so much a choke, or was it just you know just nerves, bad round, the fact that other yeah. guys were making moves? Yeah, I think you know uh, one fact about Lowry is that he uh, had to come back and finish his round on Sunday morning. Um, and so well, did Johnson. But if you if you compare Shane Lowry and, and Dustin Johnson. Um, one is clearly an athlete, and the other kind of wants to be. And, uh, and, and the other and might not be in Gary Player's uh, dinner parties. Well, yeah, it's, it's no disrespect to you know Shane Lowry. He's won a, a, a world golf championship. Yep. He's he's obviously a fine player. But I think I think that would have a you know it's also just the the, the mental um, fatigue that you have with holding on to the league. So he would have he would have got up really early on on Sunday morning, had to prepare, go out, play run. He would have had a long break between the uh, the third and, and final round. Wouldn't have you know would have stayed at the golf course. So um, having that mental pressure, uh, and, and you know the, the, it kind of came across in his putting stroke over the last uh, last few holes. But I think we must just also put into context with, with Dustin Johnson. Um, he joins a very elite group of players that have gone from finishing second in the U.S. Open to winning it the next year. And, I mean, I'm throwing out Bobby Jones, Jack Nicklaus, Tiger Woods here. So, you know, to come back from what happened last year at Chambers Bay where he he had a putt, about a 12-foot putt on the last, yeah. on the 72nd hole to win the tournament, yeah. three-putted um, to not even be in a playoff, which is, you know, with the U.S. Open would have been a Monday 18-hole playoff. You know, to come back from that um, and a year later to... To kind of really just put all those demons aside is is fantastic. Uh, a huge kind of tall hurdle that he's overcome now, and um, I think we can we can expect uh, a few more majors from him now at least. Sure. Now I want to get back to just Dustin and your the latest edition of Golf Digest for a reason. Um, but let's just go over a couple of other players. Rory McIlroy missed the cut. Ricky Fowler missed the cut. Is that a worry for those kind of players, or is it just you know again like one of those weeks, or is this a bit of a trend that's picking up now? These guys are either really good or they're just missing cuts. Yeah, I think uh, Ricky Fowler is an interesting one. You know, last year he um, was top five in in all four majors. Only a few people have done that, and uh, he's now missed the cut. The Masters and the US Open. Yeah, twenty fourteen. Yeah, it was the top fives. Yeah, before two, two, two years ago. Yeah, um, and uh, you know, as far as McIlroy goes, he's just there's, there's just something that's not right there. Um, there's, there's just there's a big mistake um, occurring, kind of you know at least once, sometimes twice around. Um, you know, Jason Day showing his class as the world number one at the moment, and he uh, he came back from disappointing, uh, you know, finish to his second round to. I think he was tied 100th at one stage in, in, during the, the second round and, and managed to make the cut. And then, you know, came back, double dropped the, the uh, 17th last night, mm-hmm. but um, still kind of hung in there. Whereas um, Spieth and uh, McElroy just kind of something is just not right at the moment with them when it comes to the majors. I think they're too rich, Barry. They're too rich. They didn't grow they didn't grow up <laughs> poor for a start and they're just too rich. Like you know, you, I, I agree with you. Firstly Jason Day, I mean he grew up poor, we know this for a fact. But he has that staying power. There's a real fight within him there. And if you look at like the big three, because there's always so much talk. The media loves the whole big three. Even right. though um they haven't won enough. They haven't been around enough to be a big three just yet. 
But there is a, there's a definite quality here, and I'm seeing it more and more around golf. Like Tiger in his day, he didn't miss cuts. If he didn't win, he was still grinding. He was still looking to do something in the field. These guys, it's like, you know, this big size, they're teapotting on the greens, they're gesticulating with it with their caddies about something not going their way. Yeah, it, that's it, a very good point. It, it almost just stinks of immaturity a lot of the time with these guys. And they've got everything they could possibly need in the world. And all they do is expect perfection. But, like, you can't chase flags at a tournament like that. You, you can't expect to, like, two-putt everything. And yeah. it's it's a bit of a worrying trend, I would think. You, you raise a very good point there. And I've noticed it more and more over the last couple of years with, with top players and how much interaction they're having with their caddies. Specifically after a shot, you know, you can't get that shot back, and they they yeah. they're, they're pointing and just and talking and, and carrying on. Danny Willis is a is an excellent example. He's a very kind of jittery guy, and I was watching him at Wentworth three weeks ago in the in the uh, BMW PGA, and um, it's just it's you know what? Almost sometimes I feel it's like they're professional golfers, and they can't handle the fact that um, you know they've they've played about that it was their fault. Yeah, and sometimes maybe it's a good thing because they'll point to a spike mark or blame something, you know, caddy or, or whatever, and, and maybe it's a maybe it's a defense mechanism where they go, well, you know, it couldn't have been that, that wasn't my fault. Uh, I'm gonna carry on now. Some outside agent caused uh, me to miss that putt, or you know, to so you can look at it two ways, but it, it's certainly something that I've noticed, and um, it's not. It almost it, it comes across as petulant, and it, it doesn't um, it doesn't really look good on TV, you know, if the these professional athletes behaving like like this. Well, they're they're essentially like the kids who will take their ball away unless they score a goal, and it is a bit of a yeah. worry. But no, Barry, unfortunately, we haven't got enough enough time left to get into a couple of other points. So I wanted to raise a point about the SA golfers and you know Brandon Grace, but you know, he, look, he did well. It's two top fives now in a row for him at the US Open. Definitely is going to be his time. But what I do want to bring up just quickly while we've got time is the latest issue. Of Golf Digest, you've got Dustin Johnson on the, on the front cover, yeah. and it's, it's all about bullying the golf course. Are we going to see? I mean, Gary Player said this a long time ago in an interview I was involved with with him. He said, "Wait until the big guys come to golf," which I thought straight away, ugh, it's just a throwaway comment because golf is so much more than just power, and we, we know this for a start. But do you reckon, like, you look at Jason Day, absolutely claps the ball. Look at Dustin Johnson. These guys ha- have another element of their game. I mean, like the, the, on the 18th yesterday. Um, uh, Dustin Johnson's second shot. The guy spun it, stopped it on a dime. Other guys are hitting the fuck uh, four, five, six irons in there. Are we going to see more of this coming out of the champions now? Just bigger, stronger, bolder? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, golfers um, are athletes and, and they train, and, and um, you know, uh, there aren't many pro- professionals that don't uh, spend time in the gym and work on their fitness. Um, you know, I think the, the whole, it started about, Ten years ago, it was called the whole bomb and gouge um, phenomenon, where the further you hit it, the closer you are to the green. So even if you if you spray it a little bit, you you're hitting a wedge, and your opponent is is um, possibly hitting you know a six seven iron from the uh, from the fairway, but you're hitting a wedge, and you're going to take your chances. And yeah. I think um, you know, Dustin, we <laughs> we had a choice. Which I'll cover. We went on sale today, and um, we had a choice between. Uh, him, uh, Day or Steve on the cover, and I specifically chose him because I just I just fancied his chances at Oakmont. You know, they've cleared a lot of trees the last uh, since the last year's Open, and it, it's the kind of golf course where there is the graph, but the further you hit it, the um, you know you, you take bunkers out of play, you carry bunkers, and yeah. um, you take your chances of 
just you know potentially falling into the into the, the, the first cut of rough. It's not that penal, and um, you know, he just had a great week with with uh, with the driver. So he's very easy. It's like McElroy as well. If McElroy drives it as well as he can, kind of no one will beat him. Yeah. Um, that's just uh, you know how it is because they they're, they're hitting much shorter irons into um, very firm greens. Uh, and they're they're able to stop it. Jason Day as well hits incredibly high um, iron shots. So yeah, it's, I mean your 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 point is is spot on. It's um, we are in a um, a bomb and gouge era, a, a golfer athlete. Um, you know the big guys bombing it. And, but you know conversely, um, look at a guy like Zach Johnson who last year arrived yeah. at the old course with St Andrews and, and knew that he was going to have a lot of wedges and he's the best wedge player in the world and and, and he won. So. There is still. It's, it's not only about the the bombers, but yeah. um, you know, the, the the reality is the golf ball goes too far. And just to just to end off on that point, the um, whether he caused the ball to move or not, the green speeds are ridiculous at Oakmont, and and that is, in my opinion, why the ball moved because. They were kind of right on the edge of being, you know, just outrageous. Unplayable. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, look, if, if the wind came up at all, they were screwed. Barry, oh, exactly. we, we have complete run of time, unfortunately. But yeah, get the latest edition of Golf Digest. You say on sale today. Correct. Yeah. Right That's here, right here in South Africa, uh, Dustin Johnson on the cover. So you really can't miss that. He is the new US Open champion. He's on the cover of Golf Digest. Barry, thank you so much for your time. That is it. I can't even wrap it up. Uh, Mung Oba is next with his show. And, uh, yeah, we've got to go. Catch you next week. Catch everything on the bounce.co.za. I am completely out of time. This is cliffcentral.com.